When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. If looking for great ideas for life, you're far from good hands. If you're a person who thinks the listener is always and completely right, we find ways to prove you wrong. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, you're a rebel by choice. If you want to host that folks between love and madness and finger licking entertainment, then play on and listen to the Croc and Crazy Train Radio. What up, Crazy Train Radio? Hello. 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 God bless the internet. That's the fact, Jack! Nothing is over! Am I on the internet? He called the shit poo! Oh my god, who the hell cares? Right on, sweet sister! You ain't cool unless you pee your pants! Oh, derka derka derka. listening to Crazy Train Radio, and don't ever forget, I love you. Folks, it's that time again, as promised. Uh, We're getting ready to talk with Brother Love. He's an executive producer. He's done, you name it, in the wrestling business. But part of the conversation with Bruce and he's going to come in and help me out here. Uh, you know him as manager extraordinaire on the independent scene, Vinny DeGuido. Vinny, how you doing, sir? Ah, same shit, different terrible, my friend. What's good with you? Nice, nice. So what, <laughs> before we get talking about Bruce here, what do we have going on in the world of Vinny DeGuido? Um, actually, I've got a, um, a lot of events. Well, actually, no. I can't say that because <laughs> I'm taking a lot of time off so I could spend more time with my kids these days. I mean, I'm doing a lot less than what I used to do because, you know, my kids are getting older now and I want to spend more time with them. But I do have a few events coming up. Um, I don't have them in front of me right now, but if you go to uh, www.facebook.com backslash official Vinny the Guido, um, you know, right right on my Facebook page, it has a, it tells you about all the events that I've got coming up. I have a few events, like two or three events that are coming up and stuff, if you want to check that out. Uh, also, if promoters out there that are listening, if you're looking to book talent, top talent for your independent wrestling companies or autograph signs or anything like that, go to www.topoftheline.talentbookings.com for all your booking needs, folks. <laughs> well, uh, before we get... Uh, Introducing Bruce and all that stuff here. I w- one question for you. Are you 100% sure those are actually your kids? No, I'm not quite sure because a lot of people are saying that my second son, Dylan, kind of looks like a mailman's kid, but nah, they're mine. They're mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because, hey, you know, we could throw it into the show budget if we need to have blood work done, like a Jerry Springer show or a Maury or something like that. Why the hell not? 
Just, just know, Benito Guido, you know, we got to ask. That's all. <laughs> hey, you never know. So, speaking of Bruce Pritchard, uh, before we get him on the line. Ah, love you. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, when was the first time that you were aware of Bruce? Damn, I was like, what, seven years old when, when Bruce first came on the television set? I was like seven, eight years old, maybe? As the guy you just referenced, Mr. Brother Love? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Well, what did you think of uh, Mr. Pritchard and that character? Dude, I, believe it or not, I always like, I was always like a heel guy, except for the... Except for the Ultimate Warrior. I didn't care if he was heel or face. I always loved Warrior back then. But, but honestly, I was, I was always into the heels. I, I, I loved Bobby Heenan. I loved Brother Love. I loved all those characters back then, man. I mean, to, to me, I was always like a heel person. Like, I just loved the heels even back then. Well, has your opinion changed uh, over time and you actually got into the business? What do you mean? Uh, as far as what, you, how much you liked uh, Bruce Pritchard or admired their heels or anything like that, uh, has your opinion of Bruce changed over time? Absolutely not. I think he's a great guy. I think he's very smart, actually. But, you know, it's great that we're interviewing him coming up because, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask him, and I'm sure there's questions you want to ask him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But do you think personally? Oh, Without a doubt. Uh, do you think he'll actually end up back with WWE or anybody on a national scale? You know, <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, you know, I mean, we're not, I'm not Bruce Pritchard. I couldn't really answer that question. But, you know, I mean, I mean, there's always a, an old cliche saying of never say never. So, you know, you just don't know these things. I mean, maybe he would, maybe he won't. I mean, that, that that would be his decision and Vince's decision, more or less, you know? Well, I think before we jump in the interview here to answer that question, on at least in my opinion, I'm going to steal a line from another heel from that same era. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> <laughs> Even The Undertaker did, at least when he debuted. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll be covering that for sure. But, you know, let's take a commercial break, and we will jump into the interview and get Bruce on the line. Awesome. All right, Vinny. Thank you, sir. I'm going to go should, home. We, and you know what we should do? We should, we should also do a closeout, too. Like tailgating, stock car racing, and the blues, Yingling is purely American. Like neighborhood hardware stores and local diners, Yingling is a family business. And just like talking football, politics, or beer, Yingling is no nonsense. Yingling is like a lot of things, but our lager is unlike anything else. It's a true American lager, purely independent in a way that's hard to find these days in a way that's avoided every superficial fad and fancy distraction that doesn't have to do with making great beer. Maybe that's what's made Yingling Lager kind of an icon. It's no frills, no shortcuts. 
Beer that's all about the beer. Refreshing, isn't it? It says something about New England and the people who drink it. Ask for it on tap or in bottles wherever you go. And get a taste for yourself of an American original. Think about it. We've survived for 185 years by making darn good beer. Yingling Lager, from America's oldest brewery. D.G. Yingling & Son, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. All right, folks. As promised, we got him on the line now. He was best known as a on-air manager, producer, and senior vice president of programming for WWE and TNA. Bruce Pritchard, how you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Oh, no complaints on this end. First question, or not not so much a question, but you can elaborate later. Coming up in, I guess, two weeks, two and a half weeks or so, on December 12th, we got Reality of Wrestling. Uh, they got their last event at the Rec Center, correct? Uh, what's the story on that show? Well, you know, it's... it's uh... Pretty much we, we have a couple of big shows a year, and Christmas Chaos is, is one of the biggest. But the kind of on the sentimental side for this one being so important to us is that it will probably be our last television taping that we do at the Clear Lake Sports Complex. And, you know, that that's where, where Booker has been taping his shows for, you know, the last, gosh, long time. Um and we have a brand new facility, a beautiful facility that we're going to open up in January, and we're going to we're building out a television studio arena, old school, and we're so excited to get to get to Texas City, open that thing up, man. It's going to be a it's going to be an arena it's, and and everything. But before we get there, man, we got Christmas Chaos, which is just going to be a huge event with just highlighting the best that. Reality of Wrestling has to offer, man, and, and i got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I know that I am a little bit biased when I say this, but the talent in Reality of Wrestling is some of, if not the best, independent talent in the professional wrestling world today. I love these kids, man, and... They're, you know, they're, they're I, I call them kids. I call anybody that, uh, <laughs> that didn't, wasn't employed in the wrestling business before 1975 kids. Um, <laughs> so, by God, they're kids to me, and, and I love them all. But they're, it's a great group of talent, guys that just, guys and girls that just want to contribute and they want to learn and, and they love, they just have a deep love and passion for the business, and that's great. It's just great to see, and it's great to be around. It keeps you young. At least keeps me young. Well, you know, if you want to get information... Oh, sorry about that. What were you saying? No, I said it's just cool. It's cool to be around. It's nice. Definitely nice to have a young vibe. Uh, For those who want directions or to get tickets for Christmas Chaos or to check out any information about the promotion, realityofwrestling.com. While we're on the subject there... Uh, how long have you been working for Booker with the promotion? Wow, Book, uh, trying to think. It's been about a year and a half, and and Book and I had we we live probably a mile apart, and Booker always came for Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas Eve, kind of pre <laughs> you know pre party type thing in my house, and and we. He started doing different things. I started doing different things, and, and 
we weren't seeing a whole lot of each other, and I, his number, he got hacked. And someone got control of his phone number, and he changed it, and I had no way of getting in touch with him. My wife runs into him in Friendswood, where we live, and he's like, you got to give me Bruce's new number. And she says, traded numbers, but she didn't tell me that. And we had a big party at the house uh, about a year and a half ago. And in walks Booker and uh, Charmel, and there are two beautiful twins. And next thing, two weeks later, I was at the show, and we were back working together. Well, Booker's a friend of the Crazy Train Radio as well. We've had him on the show before and everything else. Great guy. Uh, Obviously, you grew up in a business in the Houston area and everything else. How much of what he does or you guys both do with reality of wrestling remind you back to the Paul Bosch days? Keep it simple. We, we promote to the community, and we keep it simple. We, you know, it probably doesn't bode well in today's environment, but we're professional wrestling with, you know, we, we do sports entertainment as well, and we're teaching the talent that's coming up through books program what that world of sports entertainment is while locally maybe pushing a little bit more towards the professional wrestling side of things but make no mistake about it when the talent comes to work at reality of wrestling they come to the school books teaching them how to make it in the business in the future and i I dare say um some of the guys that have come out are these kids are really good, and, and he, he holds them down from the standpoint, I say, I don't mean he holds them down in a negative standpoint. He won't let them go until they're ready. And, you know, a lot of guys don't do that. A lot of guys will go in, and, and it's not one of these deals where you pay a big tuition and he promises you the world. He doesn't promise anything. He promises you opportunity. He promises that he's going to give everything he can to get the best out of you, and he does. It's a loyal, well, great group of guys and girls. I keep, you know, I don't mean just I, when I say guys, I mean guys and girls. Understandable. Well, obviously, and I'm sure, as far as the training side of things, and even with the local shows that you do, once somebody, guy or girl, is ready, I'm sure it helps, especially credibility-wise, when you have someone such as yourself or Booker who can make a couple calls and say, "Hey." We got this guy, we got that girl, whatever the case may be, you know, you should take a look at them at least. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, it's a a good perk having Book uh, being on SmackDown every week and and being in the machine. Definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, Well, speaking of young students, before we move forward, uh, obviously it's been mentioned around Brennan Williams, uh, the former NFL player, now training with Book. Uh, how does, how's this kid been since, uh, you know, I haven't been started. around him a whole lot, but he's hungry. I haven't, haven't been in his training sessions, but the, the beauty of it is it's not a football player who couldn't make it in the NFL that goes, okay, well, you know what, I'll give wrestling a try. It's someone who had a passion and a love for wrestling sports entertainment wanted to be a part of the business who 
happened to be a football player that was good at his game, had an opportunity to do that, but always loved wrestling. He always wanted to be a part of this. And, you know, when the opportunity arose and got cut from New England, and it's like, you know what, maybe they're, uh, <laughs> it's the right time, maybe this is a sign. And he came back, and he, he came down, and he wants to learn, and he's showing the same devotion and, and getting into it. He's getting into his training, and this is something he wants to do. So we're excited. We're really excited with him. Well, the other big thing that I Adam, wanted I to bring you. up with you. You do your homework, man. That's good. Hey, somebody's got to try to do something, you know, once in a while. Exactly. Um, you know. Yeah, just we won't let that rumor get out too much because otherwise, uh, you know, it'll be expected more of me. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yeah, it'll almost be like working for Vince, you know, stretching to get stuff done. There you go. But uh, all kidding aside, you know, the other, I guess, big thing that's a very big deal, I should say, These days, there's no shortage of people ready to tell you what to do. I'm not one of those people, because I'm here to talk about Yingling Lager from America's oldest brewery, a company that was told what to do several times over and generally ignored the advice. I could say that that's a reason to drink it, but that's your call. Some folks like beer that stands for something. Others like beer that tastes like something. If you're looking for taste, look for the rich amber color of Yingling Lager. It's a sign of a well-crafted, distinctly satisfying lager. If you want a beer that stands for something, consider the beer that stood for something since 1829. For six generations, Yingling has chosen brewing right over brewing big, every time. Yingling just stands for beer. Says something about Yingling Lager and the people who drink it. I won't tell you what to drink, but think about it. We've survived for 185 years because we make darn good beer. Yingling, American-owned, family-operated. D.G. Yingling and Son, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. Ah, yeah. Well, well, folks, after... Yeah. Well, after a brief interruption by uh, Mr. Bodybag, uh, Vinny Guido, but we won't say why he was burying bodies, uh, we were were having a little bit of a uh, conversation about wine, which nothing wrong with being on the eve of Thanksgiving. Uh, Vinny, welcome. I'm more of a white wine drinker. My fiance likes red wine. Uh, although I will drink red wine also, but I'm more of like a white Ziffendale kind of guy, you know. My wife well, Bruce, since you were talking about it, what what's the kind? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking Deguello. Ooh. D-E-G-U-E-L-L-O. Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a oh. Cabernet Sauvignon. I like that peanut grid, uh, peanut knower. This Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, and it's a 2007 Deguello. Oh, that, that ought to be nice. Oh, God, it's tremendous. They have re- you know, they have really good wineries upstate New York, like like in the mountains. They have really good wineries in the mountains. You can see the whole Hudson Valley, too. It's beautiful. Well, they also have banjo players, too, but that's beside the point. <laughs> 
come up from West Virginia, Pennsylvania. It's just kind of Yankees. They're Yankees. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yankees. Oh. Oh, Sam, Damn. Yankees. <laughs> what, what are we talking, musicals now? Or, you know, what the hell? Oh, but since before Vinny uh, decided to join us, we were discussing, get ready to discuss another important topic uh, w- within wrestling terms. With what? Road stories. <laughs> Road stories. There you go. Well, yeah, we should go there. What the hell, you know, since we're talking about upstate New York. You know, we'll come back to the other big topic. Yeah, let's go there, Vinny. Road stories and, uh, and ribs. Got to talk about the ribs. I, I uh, Owen Hart. Owen Hart was a very good ribber, from what I knew. Bruce, did Owen Hart ever rib you? <laughs> yeah, he did. As a matter of fact. Yes, I love Owen Hart stories. <laughs> Owen was great, but I, I think one of the <laughs> it, and it, it was I don't know if it was a rib, but it was Owen kind of instigated it. Uh, <laughs> yep, it's a rib. How do I tell this? How do I tell this story in a politically correct world in which we live? In? Hey, we're not exactly politically correct, but feel free do what you have to do. Okay, it was it was Jim Cornette, and it was during the time that we were uh, doing something with Shawn Michaels at Diana Hart. Diana I love Hart Diana. She's a sweetheart. Daughter of the legendary Stu Hart and matriarch of the Hart family. Um. She was married to Davy Boy Smith, and the, the angle was between Sean and Davy Boy. And we were doing something where we were insinuating there was something between Sean and Diana. And so I walk into a room. Jim Cornette is on the line with quotation marks Stu Hart, who is oh upset at the angle about portraying his daughter in an unsavory way. <laughs> you're going to put me in my daughter and you're going to say she's a whore. And, and whose idea was it? Well, Cornette, being Cornette, um, knows that this is a rib. <laughs> of course okay. he does. Of course he does. And he says, well, goddamn, Stu, I'll tell you who came up with that idea. That's that goddamn Bruce Pritchard. And you know what else we're going to do, Stu? Bruce wants to perform a really bad sexual act in her baccal area in the middle of the ring. And you know what else, Stu? And, Bruce... and I walk in. So I walk into the room. And Cornette says, oh, hey, man, somebody wants to talk to you. So I get on the phone, and I'm like, hello? Uh, yeah. Who is this? I said, it's, it's Who's it? It's Stu. Hey, Stu, how are you doing, sir? Nice to talk to you, man. What's uh, what can I do for you? Uh, you some kind of pervert or what? <laughs> and he goes on to talk about, now, Again, the first part I gave you, I didn't know that that had happened with Cornette. I'm walking into this, and I found out on the backside. I love Jim. That's funny. What are you talking about, Stu? Now, I'm back. I'm going, what the hell is going on? And I'm looking at Cornette. Cornette, it's Owen. It's Owen. This is like a, a TV sitcom. Because as I'm talking to the voice on the phone, 
which everybody does is too hard. Oh, yeah. And I'm, but at the same time, I know Stu. And I'm thinking, it sounded an awful lot like Stu. The door opens, and Owen walks in with Davey. <laughs> and I realize now, because Cornette's telling me it's Owen, and it's a rib, and they're trying to mess with us. And so I'm going, well, yeah, Stu, we're going to take Diana. We're going to bend her over. And Owen walks in. Oh, shit. And Stu on the other line, when I see you, you come to Calgary, I'm going to fucking hang on. Sir, 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 wait, wait. I see Owen. I'm like, sir, sir. I said, Owen, Owen, you got to talk to your dad. It's your dad. And he thinks, Owen gets on the phone, and Owen's like, yeah, Dad, we've been trying to talk him out of this for a long time, but Pritchard said, fuck it, you know, he goes, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and Owen has no idea. Uh-huh, yeah. Just go, so, yeah, that was a good, that was kind of a nice little Owen, but I, I, I give Owen credit for that because it was just such beautiful timing. <laughs> well, I actually have when I, when I start. I about ribs, and I never, have, I never have any good stories, man. I, I just, uh... <laughs> Witnessed a lot. Probably, uh, you know, I don't rib. I don't want to be ribbed. Um, but uh, I got blamed for an awful lot of ribs. <laughs> Some of my no, I was going to say, I'm like, come on, you, you, you were Brother Love, man. I mean, Brother Love was like, the, you'd think he'd be the king of, of ribbing people. <laughs> ah, come on. I don't rib, don't want no. to. No. <laughs> You know, you almost sound like an old friend of the show uh, who, unfortunately, never got him on the air, uh, Percy Pringle, better known as Paul Bearer, who who enjoyed watching from what he says, but, you know, <laughs> Wink Wink wasn't involved. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I remember one yeah. time I had Percy Pringle when I back when I used to host radio shows like regularly. Um, I had Percy on there, right? And during that time, the name of our show was the Unrated Hour, and uh, and one of the one of the people who were regulars on my show, her name was Beverly Boobs, and, <laughs> and Percy goes, "Oh, Beverly Boobs, eh?" <laughs> He's like, Beverly Boobs. That was He's Percy. Like, That's all he to be said. He's like, so what's your size, hon? He's like, so what's your size? Oh, good times. But speaking of Percy, hey, why not? (laughs) But speaking of Paul Bearer and the dead, Mr. Brother Love was Taker's first manager all 25 years ago. Yes, he was. Yeah. So... Text over the weekend, and just uh, you know, I, that, that's one character that, that I'm so proud of that I love personally. Uh, the character, the human being behind it, um, and having a part, you know, a big, big part in creating that character and, and in being a part of it uh, is without a doubt a, a career high for me. So, oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of. The, yeah. Well, 
It's hard to imagine Taker being a texter, which is quite funny in its own right. When I first met him, he was very shy, but then, then once he gets to know someone, he, he, he talks a lot, so it, it all depends. Like, when I first met him, though, he was very, very, very shy. And this is, like, going back many, many years ago. I'm talking about, like, during the, the heart attack tour, like, back, like, during the WrestleMania 10 days. Like, if you don't know Taker, he's very shy, but once yeah, you know him, he, he will talk for, for a while, so, you know. There you go. Yeah. I, well, mean, I, I was, I was like, 14 years old, 14 or 15 years old when I met him for the first time. I was backstage at the Nassau Coliseum. You remember the Nassau Coliseum, don't you? I sure do. Yeah, so, um, it was a house show, and, uh, I was one of the, because I always had connections and stuff. So my dad, my dad used to be very good friends with Chief J. Strongbro, God rest his soul. And uh, Chief, the Chief used to get us backstage all the time, even when I was a kid and whatnot. So they ended up rigging the contest. I don't know if you remember when they used to do these contests where they select a ticket and the person gets to do, like, guest ring announcing for, like, one match or whatever. Well, I did that. They rigged it, and I was able to ring announce. Hey, hang on. Wait a minute. You don't rig shit. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> and then we're going to go to fisticuffs. You're, you're almost like, is, is that true what Bill Afters' question is about the wrestling business? <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'll, so. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, though. It, 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 was, a, it was a good moment, though. I mean... I got. I managed. It was Dwight the Clown and his midgets against the against uh, Jerry the King Lawler and his midgets. And uh, I remember backstage. I actually, you know, I, I, before they brought me out to do the ring announcing, it was uh, Percy Pringle and and and, uh, and the under and the Undertaker was backstage. And I was like, holy shit, is he tall? <laughs> <laughs> and and who the and I, hell has a barking dog in the background? How many, wait, how many? You got four dogs, really? What kind of dogs are they? Well, no, I have two dogs. But yeah. my wife has a, a, a company that uh, does dog daycare stuff, and then she also watches dogs sometimes. Oh, and wow. They're small dogs. She likes to bring them home. And she thinks I'm not going to notice. Because they're small <laughs> dogs. Like they, I'm not kidding you, man. They hide them from me. But sometimes they get a little yippy. Well, I'll tell you, the little dogs, man, they're, they're more vicious than the big dogs. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, hell. But, and and you wonder why, you know. Yeah, but we wonder why Bruce is drinking tonight. <laughs> well, I never need, I never need a good... It's before five, but it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Yeah, it is on the East Coast, so why the hell not? Yes, exactly. So, speaking of Taker, though, because Rennie was telling the story about meeting Taker in person and all that, uh, Bruce, what? Uh, why has that character and the man lasted so long? It's, you know, it's one of those characters that I think everybody can identify with from the standpoint of he's a little bit boogeyman. Not, I'm the boogeyman, but he's a little bit boogeyman. He's a badass. 
but yet he's compassionate in a way. Um, and he's fair. As crazy as that sounds. No, uh, not crazy. He says what he says what he's going to do, and he does what he says. But the you also have to have the the key element is human being behind that character. And I've I've listened to people for years. You know, everybody take wants to take credit for. I did this, by God. I'm responsible for Ric Flair. I'm responsible for Stone Cold. I'm responsible for The Rock. I... Bullshit. That's what I say. I say the same thing. Bullshit. Steve I Austin. call bullshit. You know, Steve, Steve, you could have given that to anybody. Um, Steve made it so Steve made Stone Cold. The Undertaker. Did we give him the gimmick? Yep. But he made it. He made it work. It's the person behind it that had that resolve to live the gimmick, to be the gimmick. And, you know, there, there was no people on the street, when they see him, they, they have immediate respect if they know who the hell he is because of what he's done. You, know, you don't hear about scandals, Mark Calloway and, and The Undertaker. You don't, you don't hear about that stuff. Okay. The Rock, you know, never deserves everything he gets because he works harder than everybody else. And everybody gave him shit too for leaving pro wrestling to do movies. I don't blame him one bit. You get paid a lot more in one movie than you do in a three-year career of WWE. But it's what he wanted to do, and and he was successful at it. Exactly. And he comes back and he does give back to the business. And you know, for those that say, "Oh, well, you know, he comes back gets payday." No, he comes back and gives back to the business and takes the eyeballs that follow him in another world and bring them in to the industry and bring them into the WWE and sports entertainment that, that want to watch him do whatever he does. But yet the boys in the back, back bitch about it because that. he's taking up their time, according to WrestleMania. Like, they, they, they don't like the fact that he comes back after all these years and takes someone's spot in, in WrestleMania. I'm like... You know, you not know for what, nothing, but he's a rock. Else, if there was somebody else that deserved that spot, they'd have it. Exactly. So, well, that, and I think he, besides giving back, I think he has earned a little bit of credibility being a third-generation guy. Wouldn't you say, Bruce? Oh, without a doubt. But, but again, from day one, his commitment, you know, his commitment to the business, his commitment to be the best and nobody works harder I was like you can't, you can't sit there and bitch about Vince McMahon oh well he wants me to come to, he wants me to come to work and do this guess what he went to bed after you and he was up earlier than you sort of seen it for the most part yes without a doubt man and I know Triple H gets a bad rap man I have a question, though. How do you think those guys would have fared during the territories? I think they would have excelled. Every one of them would have been a top guy everywhere they went. Even in the territories? Because the territories was rough from what I was told. So. Not a doubt. But, but those guys, because of their dedication and their work ethic, they would have gotten over everywhere they went. And there's not a lot of those guys that could have done that. Yeah, that's true. You got a point there. Look at a Triple H, a Rock, a Mick Foley, a Steve Austin, 
Those guys would have made it wherever they went. Every one of them. Well, well we were talking. It's good to see. It's good to see Samoa Joe in WWE now. Yeah, you know what? I have some asshole. I'm sorry. I I, I swore I wouldn't. You could say. I have some guy on my Twitter that, that sent me an assholeian tweet. <laughs> something about. I, and I'm pulling it up right now because it pissed me off. Because I've known Joe since he broke into the business. And here was a kid who all he wanted to do was be a wrestler. And Rick Bassman broke him in, and, and Joe just, I mean, if, if there was a second to work, he was working it, man. And this guy sent me some, so so much about Samoa Joe never being a big star or anything. I'm like, what? Here's a guy who... But Samoa Joe wrestled in Japan for crying out loud. What do you mean he did he, he, he... Is the guy smoking well, crack or something? Like I had said it, and and I'm like, well, no, I I actually have always been a big fan of his. And now, Bruce, don't let the marks get to you now. <laughs> no, you know what? It was one of the. It was just one of those assholing things that caught me at the wrong time in the wrong place. I went because it confused me. I said, did I say something about Joe somewhere? <laughs> I called, as a matter of fact, I called Joe when. Um, I heard the rumor about him signing with WWE, and I was hammered too when I did it. But and he laughed about it because he appre- he could appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> and, I know. Yeah, you know what? I really hope this is true because you deserve it. I really and truly do, man. And um, he's one of those he's one of those guys that you just are happy happy for. Oh yeah. Because they want it so bad and. Um, Austin Aries, I don't know if they signed him or not. Austin Aries is another one who had such a bad rap from, I guess, insiders in the business, if you will, that he was hard to deal with. He was well, I'm not going to lie. He was a dick. So <laughs> you know what, though? With me, he never was. With yeah. me, he was a professional, told me what he wanted, uh, told him what we could do, gave him opportunity, and the little bastard worked his ass off. No, no, he's a great. T- I'm not. I'm not taking anything away. I think he's a great talent. I think he's a phenomenal wrestler, but he's a dick. <laughs> That's the We're thing. Yeah. Hey, Vinny. You know, you and me are from the Northeast. <laughs> so some guy tweets me so much for telling Samoa Joe he has no future in pro wrestling. Look at TNA, and it's ready to shut up shop. I don't know what TNA's doing. I haven't been there too, but. As far as Joe, yeah, I mean, he, he's I've always been a fan, and he's always been one of those guys that you sit there and go, you want to help him. Yes. Because he would do uh, anything to be in the business and to further his progress. And he also helps others, too, because I remember I was at a show with him. I believe it was for... Um, trying to think which company it was. It was an indie fed in New York. And um and and you know, he, he was you know, he was giving pointers out and giving you know, giving advice to the boys in the back and stuff like that. Like like before the show started and, and, and after it was over and stuff. And he he was just chill. He was really down to earth and chill. We we went on the outside deck, we had a couple of beers or whatever and he was just down to earth and chill. So Joe Joe was a really nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's passionate about the business and just 
wants to perform. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate it. Well, I have one more question, and Bruce, we're going to... I'm sorry about that. I tend to do that with Vinny in the way here. (laughs) And Vinny Vinny will be coming down the Jersey Turnpike to say so. Uh, But we are definitely going to have to make this a two-parter. But my question, since Vinny had brought it up there, my final one for part one here at least, is speaking of Joe and some and Bruce brought up Austin Aries and a few other guys who have floated towards NXT and whatnot. Bruce, since you're up in New York and all, how would these guys fare and do you see them going up to the big roster or sticking with NXT? Unfortunately, that's where I get my news a lot of times. Because <laughs> I just don't. I, I, people I text with, if I send a text to Vince McMahon, it's about my daughter wrestling. I send a text to, to Takers about, hey, how are the kids? And, and by the way, man, remember 25 years ago. Um, I don't, Booker and I, we don't talk about WWE, man. We, we focus on the reality of wrestling. So I'm not into the gossip of what's going around up there with everything else. I, I read the gossip, I guess, like everybody else does, but at the same time, I take it with a grain of salt. Those damn dirt sheets! <laughs> well, no, I take it with a grain of salt, because I, I know when they're reporting things, when they've reported things about me that have been just 100% completely false, but it's reported as if it's fact. Y'all, yeah, dude, I hate that! <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's one of those things, and you, you take some of these these talents, and, and I, I read different things. I look at uh, Kevin Owens. Um, here's a guy I could see as a baby face in two years, being the hottest thing in the business. Yeah, I'm probably gonna get jumped all over for that. But <laughs> here's here's a guy who has he can work, he can talk. Um, but I hate. Sometimes when I listen to the cheap fat jokes, the you would have never done that back then for the right reasons. You don't call Vern Gagne a bald old man because he was a bald old man. And when you get your ass kicked by that bald old man, what credibility do you have? <laughs> Kevin Owens is a guy that I think he has all the tools. You know, there may be other issues I don't know about. Outsider looking in. Never met him. Only know what I see. I uh, love Seth Rollins' death, man. Uh, don't know him either. But he's got talent. So when you have these new guys, Cesaro, I will I will stop fast-forwarding through a Raw to watch a Cesaro match because it entertains me. So when I listen to, you know, the experts, if you will, that have never stepped inside of a ring in their life or who have never had their livelihood depend on creative product that is placed in front of <laughs> consumers to then vote whether or not they like it or not, it's, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And so, yeah, you were asking me about um, 
you know, Austin Aries and, and Samoa Joe. Do I see them on the main roster? Yeah, I do. Um, will those within power look at him and go, well, guys, man, he's a little chubby. And have this argument all the time. From the New York standpoint, New York is the center of the world for them. And that's all they see is New York. There's a whole other world out there. I'm trying to get out of New York. Are you kidding? That's because of the wall, but. That say, you know what, you Yankee son of a bitch, I'll kick your ass, you muscled up jack off. I have to say, though, it's so much easier to get heat in other states being from New York. It's like, I was I, I was down in North Carolina, and, and, I, and I didn't even have to say two words without getting heat. It's like, because I'm from New York, it was so easy to get heat. Exactly. <laughs> but they uh. my mouth, and they think I'm an ignorant southern. <laughs> Dude, I'll, uh. I'll tell you, you know, they have so much better food in the south, too. It's unreal. Well, hell yeah, we got better everything down here. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, <laughs> uh, well, wait, I, well I, I do have a question, though. You know, now, being that, you know, the whole uh, TNA gut check thing, I mean, like, what was your thoughts on some of the uh, wrestlers that were coming in for gut check? <sighs> some good, some bad. It was, you know, it was an idea that we came up with to Pixie always wanted she was enthralled with reality reality television okay go on reality put auditions on the air put auditions on TV and we'll sit there and we'll judge them it's a good concept it, it, I thought it evolved but uh, you know some, some were good some were bad I liked the concept. I really liked the concept. And I was never, ever, 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 ever supposed to be a part of it. And I noticed you and Taz kept butting heads on, on who you wanted and who you didn't and stuff. I noticed that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't want to... I, I never wanted to be an on-air character as myself. I was so much more comfortable. I was comfortable in Brother Love than somebody else. Dude, Brother Love was the bomb, man. I fucking loved I, it when I you did Brother Love. But I never wanted to, when you take who, who I was in real life and put that on TV, I, I wasn't that comfortable with it. I, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. Um, but I wasn't that comfortable with it. And But the concept I loved. I, I did enjoy the concept. But I wanted the concept to be, to be real. And, and, you know, that was it. We... we we had legit auditions. I'd have guys come down. You want you want to come down, try out for the company? Come to Orlando. We'll put you in the ring. We'll take a look at you. And <laughs> that was the thing. But see, the thing is, everybody bitches on how promos suck these days and stuff like that. Here's the thing. If people, if wrestlers are great athletic-wise and they're not good on a mic, I don't understand why managers are a dying breed these days. They should be more managers for people that, for wrestlers that can't talk on a mic that well. I agree. Okay, but, but to this instance, take Joey Ryan, for instance. Joey didn't impress me in his match. Joey yeah. did not impress me. What about... what? Ab- say no. You know where Joey impressed me? 
was when he cut the promo on Taz. Yeah. He's good on a modern nice. wrestling, and if I could have changed my vote, I would have. Um, and, and we went back and we hired him. But at the same time, what impressed me was the fact that he he was able to outwork Taz. On the mic? And I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Taz wanted to kill him. I wanted to hire him. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, shit. To me, that, well, that made it. The, more, the, the hotter Taz got, and I love Taz. I, I, Taz is a great guy. He's, oh, yeah. Oh, bring it back. Well. Um, but the hotter Taz got, the more I knew. It's got something. Oh, yeah. Shit. They made it an angle, too, which was great. Sure. Had to. Well, on that note, guys, uh, my phone's actually going to die out here. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, my phone's dying, so that's the reason, and I'm the recorded line. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Can we reconvene on Friday after the holiday, Bruce? I'm game. Sure. All right. What time works for you, sir? Because there's a whole business side of things as well. And Vinny's just been on a roll, which is awesome. Um, no, thank you. I try. <laughs> I re- uh, well, the last yeah, time I co-hosted was like a while ago. So. Pretty much open. On that note, uh, I'm going to have to give you that 200 bucks in cash this time, you know, Vinny. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to do it early, I can do it early. If you want to do it late, I can that, do it late. Uh, your call, Vinny, what do you think? I'm, I'm open up, all day, Friday. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always up to ungodly hours of the morning, anyway. So you know, part of the business, Easy you know how with it is. The ungodly shit. <laughs> um, you guys want to do something like nine, ten in the morning? Central time, sure, that's fine. Central, yeah. Vinny, that's cool with you. What what time is that? Our, our time. I'm trying to think. Wait. Eastern. It's only an hour difference, Vinny. Eastern. Yeah, oh. An hour, you Yankee bastard. You. Yeah, I'm not. See and time. see it. Um, unless it was money, Bruce, he don't know shit about math. <laughs> I'm always good with numbers when it comes to cash. <laughs> Does 10 or 11 a.m. work for you? In 10 works for me. Uh, I would say, like, 11. In, 11 All right, we'll do 11, Vinny. We'll bow to Vinny. <laughs> yeah. okay, so 10 a.m. on Friday. Sounds good. Yep. So Everybody have a good Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Be good, brother. Bruce, I have a question. <laughs> you, you, have, you have time to talk? Because I, I have uh, some business to talk to you about anyway. Sure. All right. Well, I'm going to drop off then. So, And right, obviously, Vinny, you got his number to do with this. And fr- Friday, uh, Friday, absolutely. All right. Cool. All right. And I'll talk to you guys Friday. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Later, boys. Ciao. I gave him the house number. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you back. Like, Nobody never answers unless I tell someone to answer. Yep. So call me right back. I'm going to call you right now. All right, guys. As you go through life, you're faced with a decision. Should I fit in or should I stand out? Blending in tends to be easier and safer, but there's something bold, something honest about standing out when you do it for the right reasons, for things you believe in, things that are important, things like beer, That's why we started brewing Yingling Light Lager. For more than 40 years, big beer corporations have dominated the market with their idea of light beer. Each one is pale and forgettable as the next. We believe it's time for something different. 
Not for the sake of being different, for the sake of being beer. A lower calorie beer with a true lager taste. The result is 99 calories, 100% lager. With a rich amber color unlike any other light beer. It's light beer that makes a statement, and we're happy to make it. Next time you order a light beer, make a statement of your own. Think of it as a declaration of independence. With Yingling Light Lager, rethink your light beer. D.G. Yingling & Son, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. Uh, after our, initial, our break for our beer run, we got Bruce Pritchard and Vinny the, Vinny the Guido, or pervert as we like to call in some circles, on the line. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that's true with Vinny laughing on that one. Vinny, uh, well, dude, there's a, re- there's a reason why there's a reason why every Halloween I'm a Magnum condom for for Halloween, so you know. Oh hell! <laughs> you saw I those folks. You, you saw those photos every year. Now this is the fourth year actually. I was a, for my Halloween costume. I'm a Magnum condom. It's hilarious. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, you had a couple broken condoms with those kids of yours there, Vinny, but... <laughs> hey, man, they could be test two babies. You don't know that. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> uh, and, and New Yorkers. Uh, but actually, Vinny, you, were, you and Bruce were heavy hitting about TNA, so might as well start there. You were talking about Taz and the whole Joey Ryan... Uh, Shenanigans. Why don't you take well, a lead on that? I one? wouldn't say I wouldn't say heavy hitting. I mean, we were just talking about you know the the TNA gut check for the most part. Yes. Yep. And, and, and again, I I thoroughly love the the gut check. It just was you know from the you know from oh, a yeah. performance standpoint, I, I I like to be a character of some sort. You know, so it. it um, but the the whole idea was an opportunity to to expose new talent, get them out there. Absolutely. Well, you don't see what happened. Well, the future, of, the future of tomorrow is on the Indies, so, you know. Well, it's got to be somewhere, hopefully. So. Yeah, I know. Well, speaking of Indies, why don't we give another... Yeah, well, speaking of Indies, we were talking about it previously. Uh, give another shout-out. Reality of Wrestling, December 12th. Uh, RealityofWrestling.com to check out the dates on that. Oh yeah, Booker T's awesome. Best damn independent promotion in the country. Oh yeah, and they have to be on TV. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Yeah. I met Booker many years ago when I was a fan, way before I even got into the business. So he was really humble and a nice guy even then. So, from what I remember, still is great guy. Yep. Well, speaking of reality of wrestling again, is there any particular talent that you think is ready for the show, so to speak, on a national level there, Bruce? Probably have a few of them that are, but at the same time, Booker is, is very, very firm about it. He, he wants those guys to be more than ready. He wants them to be able to walk in and perform and be ready if they're going to get their opportunity up there. So there are a few. Uh, we've got some great talent, but... Heavyweight champion Gino off the charts. Uh, Ryan Davidson, who I, I was doing an interview for someone sometime right after the show, and they, they asked me the same kind of question, but I was just so hyped up on, on a great show and everything. And I said, well, you know, we've got Ryan Reynolds, and so to this day he's Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> uh, I bet you're Ryan Reynolds. I like Ryan Reynolds, 
Bozeman. I don't know why that name came out like that. And, uh, of course, he had to bust my chops about it. But That's great. He's a hell of a talent as well. Um, serious Q, we've really got <coughs> – pardon me. We've really got some great great young talent in there that, you know, they're going to make it. Well, speaking of uh, young talent, and we were just uh, back to TNA a little bit. Behind the scenes, Bruce, uh, you've heard over the past year and everything else, a couple of times at this point now, they are switching networks. Is that a good or a bad thing for a company to switch twice within, say, 18 months there? Well, longevity is the key. And, and every time that you have to switch network or switch time slots, man, it's a rebuilding process. So thank God they're on the air somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's just a, it's a rebuilding process for them. You're going to a new network. You're going to a new day, a new time. So now you've got to you've got to get your old audience to hopefully follow you, and then whatever new audience that you're exposed to, you've got to educate those people as to who you are, what you are, and why you are. And it, it's just um, it, it's tough. And if you have to continually do that. That's a and the way that they're doing TV, it's it's tough. It's tough to do three, four, five months of television over a period of five days, and and not have some mishaps like what they've had. You know, they had a lot of injuries. They had guys that left the company. Um, well, they they just canceled their, their their India tour. I read that, you know, but I, but also I wouldn't want to be over. Overseas right now with all the turmoil and everything. Exactly. It's just, you know, but that's part of it. That's one of those unfortunate situations that happen. I didn't that, blame them, that's for sure. I thought that was yeah, a smart yeah. move. Yeah. yeah End of the day, you got to worry about. Yeah, talent was, you know, wanting to do that tour and talent wanting to, obviously, get the pay for that tour. Well, you got to remember, at the end of the day, it's the safety of your crew and your wrestlers and everybody involved, that's for sure. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. But the other thing with them that I was curious about, and we could go back on air and all that stuff, is did you ever have a problem with your pay? Because you hear that as far as the wrestlers are concerned. But since you were mm. office, did you have issues? I didn't necessarily have issues uh, with my pay uh, because I was really, I never had problems. There, there were issues uh, sometimes while trying to get a uh, uh, expense check sometimes, but uh, for the most part, no. But you know, they've they've got their issues, and, and that's theirs to deal with. And hopefully, hopefully they'll get it corrected and just uh, do business. You know, I have a I have a question, but this goes back to the, this goes back to the brother love character. Like, whose idea was the brother love character? Was that in, in was that actually your character that you created, or what did Vince throw that to you? Brother love was basically a, an alter ego of mine um, that I, I didn't call him brother love at the time, but it was just, I would always digress into a southern preacher growing up in Texas and, and you had all these southern Baptist ministers that you know preached and, and we actually had a Baptist church that used to bring in these tent revivalists 
Yeah, oh, yeah. They used to go in and sneak in under the tent and, and listen to these guys, and they came across to me as just such phonies that uh, I loved them. I mean, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think in their mind, they... Are you trying to say they're con artists? <laughs> oh, without a doubt, 100%. 100%. So it was, that, that part was very interesting to me, the way they could captivate an audience. And get this yeah. audience into everything they're saying and, and hanging on their every word. And that was so intriguing to me that, you know, came up with the idea of Brother Love and, and pitched it. And Pence told me, find somebody to do that. And, uh, how how long did the, I have a question, how long did the makeup job take? What makeup? Well, you figure, you figure, like, because of the lighting and stuff like that, like, with, with the brother, with, you know, with the, with they had the red carpet, they had... You know, they, they, you know, you had to put on your gear and all that stuff. Like, how long did the whole setup take for the, for for the brother love setup? Like, how long did it take them to set everything up? Who oh, knows? I don't know. That was crew. It was all part of TV, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of the brother love show itself, we actually had a fan email curious to know about the best guest you had on that segment, but also the worst. So many, <laughs> so many best. I loved working with Piper because I never knew what I was going to get. I loved <laughs> Piper, you know, Piper and I could just go out there. We knew what, what the idea was, and, and we got it. Bobby Heenan, just so much fun. Guys like that that you didn't, there wasn't any planning. There was just here's the idea, here's the topic we're talking about. Let's go out and sell some tickets. Heenan was, oh, Heenan was great. Guys Welcome. like Jake. Yeah. There was just so much, it was so much there, and they would allow you, man. They, Jake just took his time, and he, he got everybody over whenever he opened his mouth. Um, So there there were a lot of my favorites as far as the toughest. Um, Beefcake was a little tough. You know, he wasn't the best interview in the world, and he, he just was... He was a little tough sometimes because he, he was just so out there that you never knew. It was the opposite. You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth and whether it yeah. made sense. You have to pull it back. Um, arrest of soul, Dino Bravo. Uh, oh, yeah. Dino, she was awesome. Tough. i tell you another, two, two of my favorites. You're going to laugh at this one because you wouldn't, probably wouldn't expect it. I loved working with the Rougeos. Oh yeah! So they were they were fun. Um, you know, Jacques was Jacques, but Raymond was. You know, Raymond got it. And Jimmy Hart and the Rougeos, man. Jimmy Hart and the Rougeos was great. Weren't they from what Knoxville, Tennessee, or something like that around that region? No, no, no. They lived they lived in Canada, but they, but they. No, no, I know. Like, oh. But with the when they switched, that's what I'm saying. And went heel. Oh, I see. God, I don't even remember. Did we really do that? Did I just remember them saying they moved. That all I remember is that, is that they were Canadian characters, and they were saying that they were all American boys, and they moved to the United States, but yet they shit on it all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think they ever said. I don't ever think they said where in the United States they moved to. They just said they moved to the states, from what I remember. Yeah, it was all for you know. 
gimmicking off. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of the Brother... Speaking of guests on Brother Love Show, and I've heard parts of this story that you told elsewhere that there was a little bit of an issue. Andre the Giant, and we can go all day with him. (laughs) Well, Andre, you know, okay, I'll tell you this story. Andre didn't want to work with Brother Love. What? Really? He liked Bruce Bruce just fine, but he didn't like Brother Love at all. And, you know, Vince had got us all together, and, and it was... It was an interesting conversation, but we, we we agreed to go out and do it, and Andre hated, oh, God, he hated the character. Wouldn't talk to me when I was brother love. <laughs> and we, we went out, and thank God we had Heenan there, but came back, and Andre was happy as could be, and he, he, he liked it after we finally got to work together. Hogan was another one. Hogan hated the character at first. Really? But he, hate, he hated it in that way that he goes, you know, he, it was almost... But he worked with you all the time. He worked with you oh, so yeah. much back then. But but when I debuted, Hogan wasn't around. Oh, wow. I was off doing a movie. And um, when when he came back, it was like, man, he got too much heat. And it was... But once he got out there, it was... He's in the, you know, he goes up there top of the favorites, too, because it's just so easy. And working with him was a night off. I mean, I, I mean, it, to me, like, those, those, those interviews you did with Hogan were, like, classic interviews. You were like, Brother Hogan! <laughs> it was great. I loved it. Yeah, and he was... In, Hulk was the kind of guy, he went with the flow, and we just went out and, and had a good time. We knew what we needed to do, and we just went out and did it. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, I'd say that was a night off. He was a lot of fun to work with. Well, speaking of Hogan, uh, I don't know if you've addressed it publicly on interviews or anything. What do you think of everything that's gone down over the past couple months with him? You know, it, it's, I feel bad about it, really. Um, I wish he didn't have to go through it, and it's one of those situations where in this day and age in which we live, and I completely hate, you know, being politically correct, but there are certain things that have become taboo, and there are certain things in our society that really are no longer tolerated, and I think Terry just got caught up in, in a bad situation, bad timing of somebody that's out to hurt him, and releasing these things and, and making a big deal out of it. Um, I don't condone anything that was said and or done. Uh, I feel bad for the human being, Terry Bollea, having to go through it. Um, would I support the decision of WWE? Yes. Because they're a publicly held company and they've got standards. They've got even Eric. Even Eric Bischoff said it himself. He said that he understands WWE's decision, and if he, if it was his company, he would have did the same thing. So you, you know, it it is what it is. But people have to also understand that was like seven, eight years ago that he said it. It's not like it happened just yesterday, you know. But I understand. I understand that too. The dilemma comes is it wasn't released seven, eight years ago. So the 
the audience, the public, didn't have the seven, eight years to digest it and get over with it. Seven, yeah. eight years from now, it may not be that big of a deal for him. But the fact that he said it that long ago, you know, it is what it is, but it yeah. was released. So the people hearing it for the first time, they're the ones that have to deal with the shock. They're the ones that have to deal with how they feel about it now. Yeah, that's true. And it's not, you know, I don't know if you say it's necessarily fair or not, but it is. It's a state. state it of is what it is. State of, it, state of everything. Case crossed a bear. It is what it is. So I feel bad. I feel bad for the human being having to having to go through it and, yeah. and how it all happened. Uh, just, you know, whether someone's trying to extort money or, or how how he got himself in this position. You know, he's the only one that can take responsibility for that. And I think he lives with it and, and accepts it. I'm not sure he likes it. I wouldn't. Yeah. But you you have your your crosses to bear. And it happened and paying the price for it, but I think that the public will forgive him. They already have. I mean, he's already in the U.K. doing stuff. Like, he, he's doing, he's on his feet again, so it's not a big deal, you know? But it will be, it will be to, it will be to WWE, and it will be to any yeah. other, you know, large company that's they're, uh, looking for endorsements and things. That's true. Okay, I have, I have this guy on, on this hand, and I have this other guy on other hand, well, one has a scandal attached to him, the other one doesn't. Where yeah. Does go? That's true. The That's one that how doesn't. it affects him in the long run. And yeah, you're, you're right. right. Can't get away from him. <laughs> well, speaking of non-PC, Vinny brought up to me uh, off-air, let's have a little fun with this non-PC. Vinny, you want to go that direction with the comedy and not what we were talking about <laughs> no, during yeah. the break? Well, do you, do you have any good funny road, like, not, not road stories, but, like, do you have any funny, like, ring rat stories where, where, where ring rats got into the locker room and started hitting on everybody and shit? Or what? Any good ring rat stories from, from back in the day? Because you know how they used to get backstage all the time and shit. Oh, uh, no, not really. Oh, oh, I remember Marty telling me some good ring rat stories from back in the day when they used to get back. Yeah, Marty, Marty may have, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's in the, you know, by the time that the mid-80s rolled around and things like that, especially in New York, that environment just didn't really exist the way that it did in territory days and oh. in the 70s and, and early 80s. It was a different animal, completely different animal. Well, speaking of different animals here and the expansion and becoming more of a big business, how much has the business changed from that, even the mid-'80s when things became more corporate, to 2015 here, Bruce? Night and day. It's that time earlier, you know, in the, the mid-'80s, you, you had talent that had been – all over the country, all over the world for that matter. They had made their names and they had learned their crafts elsewhere. And then they came into WWE or WWF at the time and they were they had already honed their craft. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to get over. They knew how to work. They knew how to talk. They had their own personas that they had built and crafted. 
now you're you're taking talent from college college wrestling, football, and everything else, and you're hoping that you're going to train them, and they go to one facility, they learn their craft from the same people, doing the same things, same way. There's not as much individuality, in my opinion, as they're used to. So yeah. that kind of you're you're looking at a corporate built talent, if you, if you will. That this is somebody else's idea a lot of times. That they're saying, "Hey, this guy would make a great engineer or whatever." I don't know. And the talent is trying to portray that based on someone else's idea. The way the business used to be was the talent came up with their own gimmick, they came up with their own ideas, they lived it, they were it, and then they came out and they portrayed it on your screen and you had, you could tweak it, you could figure out what's going to work better here and with who. But you took the characters for the most part that they had. There were, there were guys that were brought in and gave brand new characters to, but they were more an extension of, of who that talent was. Back then, kayfabe was a big deal. Now it's out the window. So. Yeah, you know, it, it's that's just growth. That's just uh, you know the way the world is right now. So it's um, it's just a different time, and, and it is. It's, it's much more of a business. I kind of miss. I kind of miss being a fan. I mean, once you're in the business, you grow to hate it, kind of, because of all the bullshit that goes on in it. It's like it's so political. It's unreal, you know. It's well, like you know, John Layfield and I talked about this yesterday, and it, it's we started laughing, and we because we said it at the exact same time. You know what? I'm still a fan. I love the business. There, there are parts of the business that I don't particularly care for. I love the business. Never, I've never not loved the business. There are parts of it that I would rather do without, but you put up with it for the you put up with the bad to get to the good, yeah, and you, you just go through it if you truly love it, and if, and if that's what you truly want to do. But that's the thing. I do love it. Like I, I love it though. But the, the problem is, is that like I feel like so many people are tarnishing the industry. It's like. You, you, it's like people are ruining our business, and it, it, it aggravates me to see it. Like, they just ruin it. They ruin everything. I, I go back to 1983 and, and 1984 and 85 when everybody from Bill Watts to Vern Gagne and Jim Crockett and uh, everybody else, if you will, Fritz and Paul Bosch and all these guys, Vince McMahon is killing the business. He's killing the business. He didn't yeah. kill the business. He can't kill the business. Oh, he killed the territory. That much I'll agree with. Well, he grew at the heights that, that none of them could even dream of. They could dream of it. And in their own territories, when they took care of their own business, Vince couldn't touch Bill Watts in Watts' territory. Watts would throw free shows against him. He would do everything he could in his territory. The problem was, was Bill went outside of his territory to try to compete with Vince elsewhere. Yeah. That's what killed. He didn't take care of business back at home. 
Byrne did the same thing. And the only one that was successful was Crockett, who picked up the pieces, who got that national television exposure with TBS. Well, I know Sadler. Sadler was doing. Sadler was doing fine up until everything started killing his industry. So you know, I mean, right. I, I miss Sadler's promotion. But it, it, it's just, but it's one of those things. If you take care of your own business and don't worry about everybody else's business, you'll do okay. Yeah. But everybody, you know, Vince was worried about Vince's business. Vince didn't, you know, a lot of misconceptions. <laughs> they think Vince just went in and, and stole stuff and took over. Vince went to every one of those guys, offered to buy them all out, offered to work with them, offered to, to make relationship that would make everybody more money. And every one of those guys, with the exception of Michael Bell, I think, um, told them to go to hell and they'd squash him. i got to give credit to Vince, though. Vince is a good gambler. He, he gambles a lot. Sometimes it's a miss, sometimes it, it works. And if it works, like but he network, owns it. the WWE Network, yeah, the network actually worked. I was shocked. You know, it, that, that was a genius idea. But that's a lot of people off. Different. It's, there's a lot, but there's a lot of you know. There's a lot of misconception. You know, guys. Oh, he came in and stole our talent. He didn't steal anything. And and I used to laugh when people would say, "Well, he came in and stole my territory." No, you're talking about error. You're talking about oh, you can't promote Houston because I promoted Houston first. Why? America. If I if I go in and I, I get TV, I secure TV, I secure a building, and I run a show, and the audience likes my show better than yours, and they stop supporting you, whose fault is that? <laughs> That's true. It's their it's fault for not making a product. I to run a show. <laughs> well, yeah, since we're on that, go ahead. Oh no, since we we brought him up there, uh, Bruce, uh, and everything here. Can Vince actually sit back and take a breath and appreciate what he has built? So, mm. no. Yeah, I would say no. I would say no because Vince is always trying to. He's constantly working, constantly. I don't think he even takes the time to appreciate anything he's done. He 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 keeps going and going and going. When he when he does something, he moves on to something else. He keeps going forward without looking back. So I don't think he takes the time to actually appreciate what he's done. Um, he really should, though, because honestly, I mean, they should build a monument for the shit that he's done. You know, it's like, but he just doesn't, he's just a busybody. Like, he just doesn't have time to appreciate what he did, in my opinion. What do you think, Bruce? Well, he's, pr he's proud of what he's done. That much, he yeah. Just, he, doesn't, he doesn't look back. He doesn't look back at his failures. He doesn't look back, back at his success. He keeps moving forward and keeps growing. Yep. And he's he's constantly changing and uh, constantly morphing into whatever he needs to be at that time. The only time he didn't was when WCW was was like destroying them in, in the ratings. But then they, they they figured that if they didn't change, they were going to die. So they they moved with the times and they moved they formed into the Attitude Era. But you know, it was basically a do-or-die situation at that precise moment, but it turned out well for them ever since AOL bought out, 
you know, Time Warner, you know, you know, ever since AOL bought out, uh, you know, bought out WCW, I mean, that 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 was that was like the icing to the cake for Vince, you know. Yeah, but I think that Vince was guilty at that point in time of doing some of the things that a lot of his competitors did. When all of a sudden we weren't winning the ratings every single week, instead of figuring out what we needed to do to make our business better, we were worried about what WCW was doing, and we were fighting that fight instead of the fight of make our own business. And there were a lot of, you know, you say what you will and, and talk about you know, what we had to deal with at the time, that there was a major reason why we had the roster we had, why we didn't bring on new people. We had a, a federal trial going on. Yeah. It took a great deal of resources away from the company, away from Vince personally, and away from the company. Also, being the kind of guy that, that Vince is, he would not bring a new talent on into the company if he didn't feel that the environment, he didn't know what was going to happen with the trial. Or he, he couldn't go out and say, you know what, here's what I can guarantee you, here's what I can do for you. Because he didn't know if he was going to be able to do that if he went away. Yeah, you're right. We didn't know. Every single month, every other month, it was a drain on the company. And we had to, you know, they thought we got lazy. They thought, well, we, no, we we had to do what we had to do with what we had. We couldn't bring in new talent. We couldn't compete in that way at that time. That was an open door at that, that point where it gave Ted Turner uh opportunity to go in and, Grab guys because he, he did have money that he could pay them more money than we could at the time. He did have an avenue where he could go out and grow his business, and thank God he did because he made the business made the business better overall. Absolutely, did. competition. Once we got rid of that. Competition is great. Got, yeah, it is great, and it's necessary. But once we got out of that whole government mess and we we got back into the game, there had been a lot of damage that had been done. And it wasn't wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't for lack of creativity or lack of anything else. It was simply a focus of we're battling this battle on one front with the U.S. government. On this front over here, we've, we've got a limited talent pool that we've got to make work and make the very best that we can out of it. And that's what we did. Well, do you remember exactly when, after everything started settling down as far as the trial and everything, when Bruce, uh, or when Vince actually said, all right, time to pull the bootstraps up and let's dig in here, boys? Yeah, I do. And it was, it was about the time, it was before uh, Scott and uh, Kevin left, which Again, made it, you know, and, and uh, I like Scott and Kevin both. And I think that they're leaving. We, we felt it to a point. But go back and look, you know, the, the turning point wasn't Scott and Kevin. We were still holding our own then. 
Um, the turning point was when Hulk turned heel. And they, they made a new character out of a grand old face, if you will. Yeah. So it's, uh, I laugh when, when people go, oh, it was when, when Razor and Diesel went over there that you guys went to the toilet. No, not really. It wasn't. They were a huge contributing factor. Not going to take that away from anybody, but it was that wasn't that wasn't the it. The it was the turn and the it. They had the momentum and, and they went. But at the same time, during that time, we were pulling up our bootstraps. I think we were putting on a lot better house shows. We were going out and we were drawing houses in the arenas. We were making money in the arenas, getting our ass kicked on TV in the race. But yeah. we were making money in those house shows, and that's what, house, you know. That yeah. the day, that's what it was all about. Well, the TV not, not, not just the, not just the house shows, but the merchandise too was selling also. Yeah, and for the first time, WCW experienced that that boom where they're out there. They were they were making money in house shows, which they'd never done before. They were making money with merchandise which they'd never had before. Yeah. So the, the business was changing, and, and they were catching up, and they were they were kicking some ass. You know, it gets to the point. People people bitch now about the ratings and everything, about how crappy the ratings are. But the thing is, is that you know Vince is making money with the marketing value. I mean, who cares about ratings when when the marketing part of it is doing well? I mean, you know, all the mer- he's selling they're selling tons of merchandise. They're, the, the marketing, you know, being PG works for the simple fact that kids have parents that have money. A kid can't just go to the wrestling show without the parents, so the parent has to buy two tickets instead of one ticket, or four tickets instead of one ticket. Like, but 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 when when you're dealing with the attitude, like you know, like the attitude era, and you're dealing with like, you know, with uh, PG fourteen, it's like kids can't really go to that, you know, so. It's more adult-oriented, so, but you're not going to sell as many tickets as you would if it was PG, in my opinion. I mean, well, and the, I could argue that because I think that while it was uh, a little bit more skewed to the adult audience, that's what, in my opinion, that's what attracted the kids because it was cool. They wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, that's so, true, but most parents wouldn't let their kids watch it. <laughs> well, some would, some wouldn't. Yeah. Well, that's a good question right there, Bruce. Huh? Well, that's a good question right there in itself, because you're both a father and have worked in the business and seen the different changes. Can there be a happy medium? I think there can, and I think it's all about talking to your kids and being able to have that conversation with your kids as to what's right and what's wrong, what's entertainment and what's, you know, what's real, what's Memorex. Yeah. So... You know, I feel comfortable in letting my kids watch adult-themed programming as long as I'm watching it with them and we address it. Yeah. But I don't don't care for, you know, I I walk in sometimes and see some of the stuff that they're watching on MTV at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which, in my opinion, is appalling. Sorry, you mean like Beavis and Butt? Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> oh, 
Well, no, they've, they've got these teenage shows with, yeah. you know, sex and pregnancy and drugs and That's true. all this other stuff. The argument is, well, it's real life. Okay? It's not, though. It's scripted. It, even, like, people have to understand that even, and I know this for a fact, like, even reality shows aren't really reality. They're still scripted in a way. It's, it's, Get out of here. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I I was supposed to be on the third season of Jersey Shore, but I turned it down because I was going to court with my ex-wife at the time. But And I didn't want the judge thinking that that, that was, you know, real because I didn't want to lose my kids, you know. So I had to turn it down because I had to go to court with my ex-wife. And, you know, I, I would have done it. I would have done it, but, you know, I had to blame my ex-wife for that one. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's just that. Like I didn't want I don't I just didn't want the judge to think that it was real, you know, but lucky for me I got custody of my kids and that, you know, and that she has supervised visits, luckily. Thank God I had a good lawyer. But you know, the thing is is that, you know, reality reality shows, you know, they they're they're scripted though. So it's like you know, but so to have the kids think that that's real stuff that they're seeing on these shows is ridiculous. Yeah, but I think it's all about your relationship with your kids and how you discuss it with them and what you teach them at home, right from wrong. And I don't believe that necessarily is the job of the television set. Yeah. I think that that, that, that is part of the problem in this country, that pop your kid down in front of a video game or a television set and raises them without you having a hands-on and talking to your kids and educating them, trying to trying to do the best you can. Yeah. But it, it's a live, man, I, my house is, is full of kids all the time. And, I and I'm sure you hear, oh, well, so-and-so's parents let me do this or whatever the case is, you know. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I think they'd rather be in my house because... Let them do their stuff, but they know they're not going to get away with anything either. Exactly. Because if they don't do it at they don't do it at your place, they're going to do it somewhere else. So it, it's true, you know. That is true. Giving them an environment to have a good time and do stuff, but they're not going to get away with a bunch of crap. Yep. There's a lot of parents that just oh come over here and do whatever you want to do. <laughs> well. That that just goes back to society. That goes back to what what our country has become and, and how we how we've allowed it to become that. That's just looking in the mirror. But I don't believe that a television show because somebody chops their crotch is going to deter the youth of America. <laughs> you ought to hear you ought to hear the stuff that these kids are talking in their groups at school now as it is. So if you are able to watch something where they're doing that and talk to your kids, hey, I don't want to hear that out of your mouth and here's why. You don't treat women like that. You don't do this. It becomes a an opportunity to teach your kids, spend time with your kid and educate them. And get to know find out what's in their head. Is there anything that you think that shouldn't have happened in the business? Like, is there anything that, that, that you think could have been done differently maybe in the past? Oh, yeah, a lot of things. But, 
Katie Vick. Oh, damn. Yeah, but that was entertaining. <laughs> hey, that was on my watch, so. <laughs> I, 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 for one, thought it was great, but, you know. <laughs> well, you got to take it for what it is, too, so. Yeah. yeah it was horrible. Yeah, but it was so horrible. Yeah, but it was so horrible that it was entertaining, though. That's the thing. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> well, well, since we've been dancing around that area, Bruce, uh, how much uh, has the changes in society affected the unique art form of professional wrestling? For today, you mean? Affected what? Yeah, well, throughout time. I, I don't understand the question. Well, uh, I'll use a reference an article. I don't know if you had seen it. Uh, recently, uh, Al Snow was talking about society and how things evolved in the wrestling business based on what's going on in the real world. Uh, what's your take on that? It always has. You, you have to mirror society and what's going on. You want people to be able to identify with it. You want, you want to tap into those nerves and make people tick. And if looking around and then they're upset with uh, we were at war with Iraq we had an Iraqi sympathizer the heel it was easy to hate him so oh you mean when Sergeant Slaughter did the whole Iraqi thing yeah yeah if you look at guys um, I think the patriotism is, is lost in our country to a point but I look at a guy like John Cena and it makes me cre- I understand why people boo him because they think he's this creation but you know he's the hardest working son of a bitch out there absolutely um, he, he I don't know why people give him as much shit as they do yeah it, it's you know I guess because it's against the corporate but, but here's a kid who, who loves the business more than anything and would do anything for it and would do anything for the audience so it's you would look at that and go, oh God, man, that's my my baby face. But then when you get out in the real world and to kids, that audience, to a certain demographic, that's all they see and they love him and he's pure. To the older audience, they look at him and think he's a joke and they think that you know he's catering to that you know, kid audience, which he is. Well, he's doing with Cena what he did with Hogan back in the day. No, no, not at all. Because if if they booed Hogan, he would have he would have changed courses. He would have no, not at all. Vince had him. Vince Vince McMahon had him face for so many years. He never turned him heel. But but now it's like the same thing with Cena. It's like but when WCW turned Hogan heel, all of a sudden it was great. But the thing is, is that he's doing what I mean. I think he's doing with Cena what he did with Hogan back in the day, where he kept them face. No, never... The audience didn't. The audience did not. The majority of the audience did not have that big decisive split with Hogan. There were he had a smattering of boos. No, no, I'm not talking about the boos. I'm talking about. I'm talking about like just keeping him face and not changing him to heel. Well, but the the it was a different time. He needed yeah. that hero. That's true. So it was you know well, wanting people to believe in believe in Hulk Hogan. 
Well, to play devil's advocate there, Vinny, and that, Bruce, you can answer this as well. If you were to change John Cena to a heel, say, who's there to take that number one spot as your company's baby face? You got that, too? Well, everyone's injured right now, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't, I, I don't necessarily know. It's interesting, they in an interview right about the time with, with Roman Reigns and all this, and everybody turned on Roman Reigns at that Royal Rumble, I guess it was last year or whatever. And everybody, I got jumped on something. I said, wait a minute, guys. You know, three months ago, everybody's screaming, we want something new, we want something new, we want something new. Everybody's screaming about how Roman Reigns is the guy. Roman Reigns is the guy. Then all of a sudden you get to Royal Rumble. Daniel Bryan, who had been out with an injury again, was not a part of this landscape three months before that when everybody screamed, we want something new, we want something new, we want something new. So Daniel comes back from his second or third career-ending injury, and they had made the decision three months ago or whatever it was, to, you know what, let's give them something new. Let's let's build someone new. So they go to build someone new. Well, we don't like that guy now because now Daniel might be back. Well, that's bullshit. If you want something new, go with the new guy. Hey, nothing wrong with loving Daniel and keeping Daniel in the mix. But as, as a company, it's difficult to bank on someone that is – had the type of injuries that Daniels had. So you, you want to build around <laughs> for the future and give yeah, them yeah. something new. Exactly. Brock Lesnar's not going to work every week. And if he did, he'd be screaming, oh, God, we're sick of Brock Lesnar. The audience is very fickle, and you have to you have to nurture that, and you have to manipulate it to a point that get what you want out of it. So it's it's not, I I felt so bad for (laughs) Roman Reigns. He's out there busting his ass. He's the guy everybody's screaming for. They give it to him, and then they shit all over him. Oh, I'll tell you what. I I was shocked at that myself, actually. Yeah, I was at the Royal Rumble last year when that happened, and I'm from this, uh, the Philadelphia region, but holy shit, to feel that negativity live, unbelievable. I mean, honestly, I think, like, I think it's a stupid move to, to make either Cena or Roman Reigns heal at this point, because it's like, right now, as much as he's getting booed, the merchandise for him is selling through the roof. Same thing with, I mean, Cena's, forget it. I mean, that's a given. But even Roman Reigns' merchandise is selling through the roof. So so to change him heel, him or Dean Ambrose, to change them heel at this point would be dumb because next to John Cena, they're the biggest merchandise sellers there is. I mean, if they go heel, if they go heel they're going to lose all that merch. At the same time, you've invested in this talent, and the audience, <laughs> at some point, told you, "Hey, this is what we want." 
then they change their mind and it's dumbass. But it, it, it's not not as easy as I think everybody wants to wants to make it look. And they're I mean, do you think it's do you think it's smart? Factors. But do you think it's smart that they put it on? Uh, I, I mean, I think it was a great idea personally that they put the strap on on uh, Sheamus because. You know, he was holding the money in the bank briefcase for quite some time. So, you know, I, do you think it was a smart move to put – do you think it was smart to put the title on him after Reigns, you know, went through that whole torment thingy or – Time will tell. It's well, yeah. depending, depending upon what they're using it for and – if it's to get someone else over, then maybe it's the right thing. But time will tell to see what they do with it. It's, it's way too soon right now to, to say, oh, this is working or it isn't working. Yeah. And you know, one bad rating night, you know, is not, not something to go sell the farm over. But it, yeah, time will tell. Well, I, I really don't well what will Bruce Pritchard do with him? Yeah, that's my question. That's a good question. Who? What would you do with Seamus as we speak? Seamus? Yeah, as yeah, we sit right now. Oh, wow. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, off, the top, off the top of my head, I would make him a sacrificial lamb and throw Brock in the mix and make me some Roman Reigns on the back end. But yeah. I, I can see, you know, I can see Brock coming in and taking that title, making it mean something to Mania. Have Reigns be that comeback kid and take it. But that's, you know, I really haven't even thought about it. Maybe a lot of holes in that too. Just, it depends on what you, what you got, and it's a business too. You have to remember, it's a business. I don't know what. Brock's contract calls for. I don't know what uh, any of these guys' contracts call for. So, in a perfect world, if I had everything my way, if I had to make a decision right now, that, that would be one idea I'd throw out there. Because the audience believes in Brock and knows how to make people. Do you think that, do you think that, I mean, the day, the see, me personally, back in the day, that you know, considering there was no internet or any of that stuff, I mean, I thought I thought the products were better then because you didn't have the marks running. You didn't have the marks running the asylum. Forget the inmates running the asylum. It's the smart marks that are running the asylum now, which is I don't know if that's the you know. I mean, me personally, I thought the product was better many years ago than it is now. But it is a matter of taste. It's the day of the smart marks. You know, they think they know everything. But you know, at the same time, you know, your audience is the one that pays the bills. If they're not buying something, you need to be able to adapt and move and grow and do something different. Well, can you go with the old school philosophy of set, say, like uh, what you guys were doing the WWF back in the day? Know where you want to go. Say at WrestleMania, we want to get here and build backwards, or can you not do that anymore? Oh, I think you could still do that, but you also have to be able to adapt with change. You have to be able to adapt with um, <laughs> the country declaring war in the middle of your pay-per-view after you've already 
uh, <laughs> you know, done things. It's you have to be able to adapt, and it's great to to plan everything that far in advance. So much easier to book that way because you know where you're going. We had going into WrestleMania. I re- remember WrestleMania five, the Hogan Savage the tournament program. Oh no, that was four. No, 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 no. Well, that was Hogan Savage. Yeah, Hogan and Savage. It yeah. was every single week. Hogan and Savage's story was completely laid out for every single week from Survivor Series Mania. Exactly, and we didn't deviate a bit. That's the same thing with uh, Warrior and Ravishing Rick Rude. They did the same thing with that, too. Was, everything was all laid out, you know? Yep, and it worked. But we didn't have any injuries. We didn't have any major uh, catastrophe. <laughs> that's, because, that's because back then they knew how to work an actual match. Like, you know, back then the match itself told the story. You didn't necessarily need storylines. I mean, storylines are great either way, but... I mean, back then, I remember back then, you know, there was a such thing called psychology, and uh, and 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 a, and a match actually told a story. Like back then, that's what it was about. Now, like I remember, they used to do headlocks, and people used to sell those headlocks like it was like the most devastating thing. Now, nobody sells anything. Nobody, there's no nobody sells anything anymore. There's no ring psychology anymore. I mean, the product, I think wrestling in general just is horrible now compared to what it was back then. But you know what? You go back and you watch some of those old matches, which I do, and and it is, some of it's boring because you get accustomed to what's put in front of you. I never thought it was boring, ever. I always thought it was great because it, it actually... I always thought it was great, too. But at the same yeah. time, when you, when you sit there with a bunch of 16-year-old kids, you try to show them, okay, well, here's what I consider great. Here's here's an awesome match that I remember. And then you're watching it, and it's like, oh, my God, let's get to it. And the kids are looking for, they're looking for instant gratification. Yeah. So it, it's our society has is, is done that. I mean, the, you know, movies, for the most part, you know, you, I remember being a kid, you went in the movie, and you were there for two hours, and, Got your movie and it told you a story. Did all this. Now your movies are ninety minutes, and they're uh, the opening scene is a car crash and doesn't end until the world blows up ninety minutes later. But I miss the days of like the atomic drops, the the the, the you know the headlocks that like I've seen wrestlers get heat just from a headlock. Like like to me like. They they told the story though. They don't tell stories anymore. They don't. They just don't. Like the matches. Time to. Yeah, that's true. But even at house shows, you think they would utilize that? But they don't. Not even at house shows. The old, you know, in the territories, you only had six matches on a card. Guys could go out there and do fifteen, twenty minutes. Yeah. Thirty minutes. It's just. Different time, different place, and it's changed. That part has already passed us by, and I don't know that it's necessarily going to go back. But what, one thing that I, I will say I, I cannot stand, you know, I don't like these matches where they just go from one move to the next. They do these incredible, incredible moves. And then nobody like sells it. Everyone nobody. is dead in two seconds, and they pop right up. 
That's what I'm saying. They, they don't sell anything. But, but that's my point. They don't sell it. They don't sell it. There's no psychology. Right. Yeah. I remember on Vinny's point there. This is awesome. I remember on Vinny's point there, and this was going back maybe 10 years ago even, where Governor Ventura was talking about it. I believe it was on the extra of Beyond the Mat, where when Randy Savage hit that elbow or Hogan hit the leg drop or whatever the case may be, it meant something. And they sold it. And they sold it. That's the thing. When you do all these moves back to back to back to back, and you bounce right up and you're on to the next thing, it, it means nothing. So you just risk, you know, permanent paralysis or a this is awesome chant that you don't even give them time to chant because you're on to the next thing. Um, I just feel yeah. that they've lost a lot of that. They've lost a lot of the, the art form. Can you bring that back, though? Huh? Can you bring that back, though? I think you can. I think there. I think you can definitely bring back a, a good portion of it, but it's still going to be. It's still going to have to be at a faster pace than what it was before. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Like a faster pace, but at least sell the shit. You just have to. <laughs> remove, you, you take. You take some of these guys. Um, and, and the number of, of moves that they do in a match, and you remove. 60 to 70% of them only do 30% of what they had laid out and it would be a much better match with a much better story and it would extend their career by another 20 years. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, i got to get my move in. And you know who I think gets that theory too? I heard her talk uh, somewhere. I guess it was during WrestleMania week a while back. Paige. She was talking about, you know, why do I need to give the fans everything I do? Let me give them a little bit, and next month I'll give them a little more at the pay-per-view, and so on and so forth. Got to have somewhere to go. Well, do you think that's because uh, girls like her were a second-generation talent and understand that uh, old-school philosophy? I think so. Yeah, probably so. It helps. definitely helps. Because you're talking, you're talking to someone who wants their career to last more than five, ten years. I mean, Johnny Rod said it best to me years ago. Less is more. I mean, you know, like you, you don't want to do like a really like you don't want to like do, make it really short, but you don't want to make it super long either. Like these super long promos are ridiculous. I mean, I think a, a, a promo you do need promos, but you don't need like a. 20-minute promo to take up most of the TV time. I think that's ridiculous. Especially if it's not good, if it's not compelling. I mean, less is more according to what Johnny told me. And Johnny Johnny Rod back, you know, back then when he taught me that, like, you know, like, he made a lot of sense back then to me, you know? But What's old will be new again. Yes, well, my final question, at least, and I don't know what you got, Vinny, but Bruce, uh, can talent today, do you think, say, hey, I'm not liking that, I'm, you know, let's not go that long or not have these hundred moves and be willing to take the ass chewing? Up to the talent. That's whether or not they can back it up. 
know, you, yeah. you have to you have talent that may have a really good feel for their character. If you're willing to take that chance, you're willing to take that risk of saying, I want to do this, I don't want to do that, and if they have enough trust in you to let you go out and do it, you've got to make it count. And if it, if it works, you're a hero. If it doesn't work, then, you know, that's going to be probably a little while until they're going to trust you again. But, again, it's trial and error with everything. But I think everyone, for the most part, has that opportunity to speak up if they want to. There were some guys who spoke up all the time, and, and and there were some producer agents that didn't like guys speaking up because, by God, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Some of them didn't. Some of them did. Yeah. So, you know, you got. I think it's important to give talent the opportunity to to fly or fail. And, you know, the worst thing, the worst thing that can happen is fall down, doesn't work, or that, uh, God forbid, they take off. God knows, you know, it would hurt business if you you take off. Yeah, exactly. You mean you mean like what CM Punk did? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we could spend another hour talking about that. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, that's kind of what he did. Like, you know, things didn't work out. He's like, all right, screw you, and walked away. <laughs> well, since we, if Vinny brought it up. Yeah, since Vinny brought it up, what do you think about uh, CM Punk and that whole thing, Bruce? No, I wasn't there, so I don't know all that was going on. I don't agree with with just walking out. Um, never been a fan of that. Just because you, you do business, you do business the right way. Then again, at the same time, I don't know how business was being done necessarily on the other side. So I think Punk was extremely talented. And I enjoyed I enjoyed his work. I enjoyed his you know, I enjoyed Phil. <laughs> you know, he was a he was a guy that loved the business. He was unique and obviously had a following. But it, it's some of those he he did speak up and he did do things his own way. They trusted him to do that because when he did do it his own way, a lot of times it worked. I'd venture to guess a lot of times it didn't work, too, sometimes. I think it just pissed a lot of people off because he was actually right on a lot of the stuff he said. And, I mean, I, for one, actually thought, I mean, I, I think I, you know, I, I I never got to meet him. But, I mean, the guy was, you know, the guy seems pretty chill and laid back as people just don't say the wrong thing to him. You know, like like some people are just idiots and they just say random things about him. They don't even know the guy. It's like, people give him all this shit, but a lot of the stuff he says he's right about. I mean, walking away, yeah, you're right. I don't think he should have did it in that precise way, but you know, his points weren't getting across, and I think that's what... He kind of gave subtle warnings that he was going to walk out if things didn't change. So, it's not like he just walked out. Like, he kind of gave subtle hints that he was going to if things didn't change. Yeah, I don't know if he did or didn't. I wasn't there, but he, yeah. Still, at the same time, you know, you work out things and you come to a logical conclusion. 
And yeah, I'm sure they can be very difficult to work with at times. But yeah. they're taking care of. They're looking at business from a business point of view, and no different than Bret Hart wanting to take his title and, and not lose the title before he goes to WCW. That yeah. was an unreasonable request. So I don't know what 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 the dealings were on both sides of, of the Punk issue. But well, according to Brett, according to Brett back, is, yeah, but according to Brett back then. He said he didn't have a problem losing. He just didn't want to lose it to Shawn Michaels, is what he said back then. Okay, but you know what? That was yeah. what's best for business. That's yeah, what exactly. had to be done for the business at that time. And it's not Brett's decision. Yeah, it's true. Who he wins the title from and who he loses it to. It's no one's decision. He didn't win the title. Yeah, it's given to you in a storyline. It's a prop. <laughs> It it's not mixed martial arts or boxing where you actually earn it, you know? <laughs> oh, you know, it, it's not his decision. So, no, there, there, there's no point in that that, well, I don't want to lose it to him. I'll lose it to, to that guy over there. No. You'll lose it to Harvey Whippleman if that's who the company would like for you to lose it to. Because that's what we want for business right now. Exactly. That That's my thing going back. I don't know what the negotiations were with Punk. I don't know what it was. But I'm just a, a stickler for, you know, do it the right way. Do it up front and, and do what's best. It's not going to be, if you want to leave, it's not going to be what's best for you. It's going to be what's best for the company. Exactly. So they're not, they're not going to go, okay, hey, well, let's have Punk win the title of WrestleMania in the main event at WrestleMania, and then and then we'll let him go. That's not, no. That's not a smart decision. Why are <laughs> all that time to to just have him leave? Okay, well, say a little while. Let's get some people over and have you exit the right way where we can bring you back in the right way. But, again, I don't know that those conversations ever happened, that they did or they didn't. Yeah. It's hard to say if you weren't there, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, Bruce Pritchard, thank you so much. Vinny, yeah, you got anything for, else? Thank people? you. It was fun. No, thank you so much for doing this, man. I completely appreciate it. I look forward to doing business with you in the future and everything. Tell, give Booker T our love for, you know, for his company and everything. And uh, we wish you both well, and uh, thanks for doing the interview. Appreciate it, man. I Happy holidays. You guys have a great one. All right. We had a total of at least an hour of 40 minutes on air with Bruce, Vinny, the Guido. What did you think of uh, our discussion with Bruce? Oh, dude, that was great. I mean, I said it from the very beginning of the episode. There was a lot of good questions we, we had to ask him. I mean, and he, he seemed to answer it kind of the way I saw him answering it, actually. So I think it, I think it was great, you know. Maybe we could do a part three somewhere down the line. You never know. I mean... With Bruce, there's always good topics to talk about, you know? Yeah, and like you said in the opening, there's a lot to talk about, and he's just a bright guy, and you can go so many different directions with him, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Picking his brain is, like, the greatest, you know, pick, picking any any legend's brain is a smart thing to do, especially if you're in the business and you're a greenhorn in the business. If you're a student still, I mean, my advice to the students out there in the business 
is to just if you, if you have a legend backstage, I mean, don't be up his ass. But if you know there's a legend backstage, it, it, you know, don't ask them questions while they're changing or going over matches and stuff like that. Be smart about when you ask them. But if you see them not doing anything and they're just chilling and they're not in the middle of a conversation or anything like that, you know, try to pick their brain, ask them advice and stuff like that. A lot of them have no problem giving you advice most, for the most part, as long as you're not rude about going about asking them. I mean, my advice is to pick their brain. I mean, anytime you, you have a legend there near you or if you're interviewing, you know, like, like what we're doing, we, we're interviewing. As we're asking questions, we're, we're asking questions for all of you people because by picking, by us picking their brain on the air is actually great for you too because you could learn from the, from these questions. Maybe not all the questions, but, but at least understand of how the business operates now and how it did back then. It, like, but, but even if you're, if you're, if you're a student in the business, you got them backstage, I mean, ask them, you know, what what should I do or this is how my character is like feel free and pick their brain just ask them just don't be rude about asking them that's all I'm saying yeah and so you might not agree with everything said but uh you know you can always take a little nugget there from uh what is uh given to you as far as advice exactly well, I do have to say before we wrap this up, uh, my favorite part of speaking with Bruce actually was having to do with you. And it was early on when we talked about Owen Hart. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> with the whole story with uh, Stu and all that fun stuff. Owen, Owen Hart ribs. You know, before we go, i got to tell you a story that I actually overheard. Uh, speaking of Andre, we, you know, we were talking about Andre the Giant, and um, and I, I forgot to bring it up then when we had Bruce on one, because I'm pretty sure he would have had a chuckle with us. But uh, I remember Brutus Beefcake was, and Brutus told me this, you know, th- this road story of how he was on the plane with uh, with Andre the Giant, and you know how big Andre the Giant was. I mean, oh, of course, big guy. Well, he had to go to the bathroom. And <laughs> you know how, if you've ever been on a plane, you know how small those bathrooms are. Exactly. Then you picture Andre. <laughs> I can see the scene. Well, Andre had to go to the bathroom on the plane. And uh, there was no way he was fitting in the bathroom. And and you'll never guess what he had to do. It wasn't number one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I have an idea where this is going, but go ahead. Yes. So Andre had to go, Andre had to take a shit, okay? Pardon my French. Uh, Andre the Giant had to take a shit on the plane. He couldn't sit in the bathroom and, you know, he, his stomach was killing him. Like he really he had, had to, to take go. care of business. Yeah, exactly. He really had to go. And, uh, and basically, uh, you know, they, the plane, you know, they got to accommodate him somehow. So what they did was they gave him a garbage bag. <laughs> And uh, they cleared out the back of the, uh, you know, they gave him his privacy. They cleared out the back of the plane or whatever. They let him do his business in the kitchen area of the plane. And, uh, yeah, pretty much he stunk up the entire plane because everybody smelt it. And there was a lot of people vomiting in the bags and everything. <laughs> oh, it's so like the whole plane. The whole plane. Yeah, was and somebody would, a couple people would hold up their sheet to kind of give him some privacy and... So if you 
So if you people uh, see Brutus the Barber Beefcake get a wrestling show, you might want to ask him about the Andre the Giant story on the plane. Just throwing that out there for a good laugh. Well, or it would remind me of the story Hogan told me, and he has told in other outlets, was as far as Andre and the bathroom habits would be, uh, when they were over in Japan, uh, Andre would take a dump on his bed on some toilet paper, or not some toilet paper, but like newspaper, and just because of how small the bathrooms were. <laughs> then Andre would call Hogan's room, come on down, boss. And Hogan would be like, oh, what, are, what am I walking into? And sure enough, you know, you get hit with that smell going into the room. Like, oh, hell. We we could do six hours just on Andre's stories, that's for sure. But... Oh, yeah. But that that was one of my all-time favorites is when Brutus told me that one. I was in tears laughing. I was like, that's great. Uh, he yeah, said, he said it was so funny, but even he wanted to vomit at one point. He was like, like you could really smell it, too. It was really bad. Yeah, I don't think you can, uh, you'll see another Andre, that's for sure, because he was one of a kind. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, he was such a nice guy, too. I mean, I, I met him a long time ago at, um, at Primetime Wrestling, back when they were filming it in Connecticut. And, nice. Um, uh, he was just a humble and nice guy. Like, he was really nice, Andre. Like, well, yeah, that's for sure. On that thank note, God let's I, thank God I got commercial breaking. Well, we're closing out the show now, aren't we? Yeah, so let's, you know, on that note, and like I said, we can go 6, 10, 15 hours on Andre's stories, I'm sure, oh, if we yeah. call the right people. Everybody... Thank you so much for listening to Crazy Train Radio. Remember to listen to Crazy Train Radio all the time because there's always great stories on here. Craig, thank you for having me guest co-host. It was a pleasure having, you know, being, being a part of this. I, I completely appreciate it. And thank you for asking me to come on. And uh, everybody, remember, other people's misfortune is my entertainment. Good night, everybody. Fuck, now i got to give you an extra 40 bucks on your pay, damn it. <laughs>